0: My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is good to gather with you and continue in our time of worship this morning. You know, one of our desires as a church is not just that we would build up our church and grow in Christ together, but we would be a church that plants and strengthens other churches that are doing the same thing. We want to see the gospel go to our neighbors and the nations and know that we can't do that by ourselves. And God's called us to partner not only with the members of this church, but with other brothers and sisters around the world as well both in sending out church plants and sending out people, but also supporting them uh, and being mutually encouraged by one another. Well, this morning we're taking a break from our Follow Me sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, and we have one of our church planting pastor partners here with us this morning. So let me introduce you to Charles Shannon. You guys can give him a round of applause. (sighs) Charles is uh, the lead pastor at Mission Church down in Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, I've had the privilege of knowing Charles now for quite a few years, and God's doing some really neat things down there. And so I'd love to just to hear a little bit from him this morning, but we're actually going to have a reception after the service today in room 102 where you can learn more about Charles and his family and also what God's doing through Mission Church down in Norfolk. So please come out to that for a little bit after service today. So brother, first off, thanks for being here, driving your whole family up here from Norfolk. I really appreciate that. I know it's a, a huge task, but tell us a little bit about your family, wife, kids. Tell us yeah, a little
1: Yeah, uh, me and Jackie, we've been married almost 14 years in April and uh, we have five amazing kids who just bring so much joy and happiness to our home.
0: And all of them are here with you today.
1: All of them are here. I think a few of them are checked in and my oldest is going to stick around. Awesome.
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh,
1: when did you plan at mission
0: Church how long have you been pastoring there
1: yeah so we moved to Norfolk in the summer of 2014 to raise a family we had two kids we have five now so we're doing that <laughs> yeah. um, and to see a congregational family come into existence <laughs> and so uh, we were sent in 2016 but held the first public service in 2017
0: okay great and tell us I know there's lots of things you could share about what God's doing in the church and how he's helping encouraging you share one praise with us this morning about what's going on at Mission Church
1: yeah well, we praise God that in the middle of pandemic, uh, urban city with a lot of transiency and so much difficulty and challenges that churches all over have been facing that we've remained unified as a church and really committed to the vision of seeing people enjoying the gospel in community on mission for the purpose of multiplication. That's great. That's great. And tell us a little bit and
0: share. You can share again more today at the reception. But how have we, just in partnership, what's been encouraging to you or helpful for you? I know it's been uh, an ongoing relationship now for several years. Is there anything you'd want to share with our You know,
1: I'll, I'll share a story from a conversation we had a couple months ago. Okay. Right? So we would say churches are planted and then they move toward maturity and establishing. And so I can rejoice and celebrate that the Lord has planted a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational church in Norfolk, Virginia. But now we're in the early stages of establishing that work. And you said to me just a few months ago, just checking in on our family and how the church was going, you said, Charles, we realize in urban cities with high transiency and high concentrations of poverty that oftentimes planters will need a longer runway of partnership and support. And it was just refreshing for me to hear you say that. I didn't say that to you. You, knowledge, with knowledge and love, said, no, I understand what's going on. I understand your reality. And we joyfully want to commit to partnering with you for the long haul because we want to see you planted, flourishing, and well-established. Yeah. And so that just brings me joy and um that that's the tone of our relationship and our larger partnership together. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, let me pray for you, and then we'd love to hear you uh, preach God's word to us this morning. So let's pray, church. Father God, I give you thanks for my brother. Thank you for his family. Thank you for their willingness to serve your church down in Norfolk and what the the work that you're doing, not only through them, but in them in the midst of that. And God, I'm grateful that they're here today just to spend time with us, to open up your word, to share the goodness of the gospel with us today. God, we are thankful that you are building your church, uh, that Christ is exalted, not only here in Fairfax, but all over the Commonwealth and, and around the world. And God, I pray that as Charles preaches your word this morning, that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, help his confidence to be in your living and active word and your spirit at work within our hearts and minds. And may you be exalted and glorified today. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Ken is going to Come and read our sermon text this morning out of first Corinthians chapter one. So listen to the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Well, again, I want to offer gratitude to you as a church. I'm thankful for your leadership and the warm welcome and hospitality that you've shown me and my family. And again, I'm grateful uh, for our partnership that we have together in the gospel. I'm not in Norfolk, Virginia this morning. But if you are ever in town, you should come and join us for worship on a Sunday morning. It'd be a beautiful sight, very similar to this one. I want to introduce you to some of the people who comprise the Mission Church in this beautiful, urban, dense, and diverse city. Let me introduce you to William Johnson. He's stationed in Norfolk with the Marine Corps. He's at 18 years, and so retirement is within his sight. He works overseeing airplane mechanics. He worships next to his wife, Jessica, and she works for a local nonprofit in the city. Her work, it consists of providing services for women and children who are facing homelessness. Homelessness is a significant issue in Norfolk. Well, next to Jessica is a young girl that uh, Jessica is discipling or mentoring in the faith. Her name is Crystal. Crystal is also in Norfolk with the military. She recently joined the Navy. She's originally from Puerto Rico. She joined the Navy fresh out of college, and her job is a Navy pilot. She's one of the few female pilots in the U.S. Navy, a small crop, a small collective. Well, next to Jessica is Michael. Michael is a part-time graduate student at the beautiful Historical Black College, which is Norfolk State University. His full-time job, he's a social worker in the Foster Care and Adoption Division with the city of Norfolk. You see, he looks around the room at Mission Church on this glorious Sunday morning, and he sees people singing at the top of their voices, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Now, Michael knows this. They don't dance and shout like they did at the historic Pentecostal Church that he grew up in in Philadelphia. Oh, but it's clear to him that these people have a God and he is obviously great and they want to sing to him and they want others to sing to him as well. And it's clear that they all have been brought into a saving relationship with God and each other. I want to introduce you to Lakeisha. Lakeisha is a mature, godly woman in her late 50s. She's experienced the sting of divorce, not the stain of divorce, but she's experienced the sting, but she still follows Jesus faithfully. She's an elementary school teacher. She loves her job. She's been serving for many years as a teacher, and she plans to teach until her last days. She's with kids so much that she prefers not to serve in children's ministry. Oh, but she loves serving on the hospitality team. She loves, just as I did when I came through those doors, welcoming people into a hospitable, warm, and welcoming environment. Well, next to Lakeisha, as she looks around, she spots David. I want to introduce you to David. David is a cook at a local wing spot, okay? Some of the best wings in Norfolk. If you come, I'll take you there. We'll eat wings together. He's studying at Old Dominion University part-time, and his long-term aspirations are not to drop wings, although that's a noble occupation. His, his long-term aims are to become an engineer, And while he moved from Northern Virginia to Norfolk, he is so enmeshed into the life of the church that he sees himself staying and remaining post-graduation to serve and grow in the life of Mission Church. I want to introduce you to Jamarcus. Jamarcus is in a full-time medical residency, right, with Eastern Virginia Medical School. His aim is to become a medical doctor, and post-graduation, he wants to work in medical missions. Larry and Lolita. Let me introduce you to Larry and Lolita. They are self-proclaimed foodies. They love good food. They love good drinks. And so they left their job at a Fortune 500 company to start their own restaurant, and they have their own food truck. You see, in this urban city where people love joy and fun and good food and good drink, they see themselves as conduits of ministry offering people good food that's good for the soul. And lastly, lastly, I want to introduce you to Malcolm. Malcolm is a single father of three. He is a hard-working man. He works two jobs, and he does jobs on the side. So maybe he works two and a half and sometimes three jobs. Even still, though, if you assessed Malcolm's annual income, if this is the poverty line, he is slightly above it. You see, he lives slightly above fiscal poverty. If I were to tell you about his character, he is a great servant in the church, and he feels liberated that he can be a part of a church where he is not judged or frowned upon because he is a single father. He's experienced life. He works so hard, and it's refreshing for him to be a part of a church where the Word of God collides with the people of God in very meaningful and practical ways. All right. What did I just do there? I gave you some names. I gave you some backgrounds. I gave you people's jobs, their nine-to-fives where they work. And jobs are important, right? All of us in some way, form, or fashion have work, have labor, and I pray we love the labor that God has gifted us with. But I would make a distinction between our jobs and our vocation. There are various different jobs and occupation, part-time, quarter-time, 1099, full-time, over-full-time. Some of you work too much. Take that to the Lord. Talk to God about it. Ask Him for wisdom. But I would make a distinction between our jobs and our vocation. You see, even though we all have different and distinct and diverse jobs, all of us have the same vocation. I'll give you a definition for vocation. A vocation is a divine call to service to God and others, right? All of us have this divine call to God to love and to serve others, to love our neighbors. We heard that earlier in this worship gathering. And I think the intro to Paul's letter to the Corinthian church is helpful for us to root us in our shared vocation. D.A. Carson, in his New Testament intro, he helps us with the situation, setting, and occasion of the letter. He says this He says, The Corinthian believers arrogantly and foolishly esteemed their leaders with childish divisiveness, not realizing that the leaders are merely God's farmhands construction workers, and stewards. Ooh, I like those definitions of the ministry. A few of you grew up on farms, and you know how to rise early, and you know the labor and the toll associated with being a farmhand. Some of you are construction workers, and, and your work is noble and honorable, and so you know the diligence and the attention to detail that is needed to be a construction worker. All of us, to some extent, are stewards. We have a trust that has been entrusted to us in our workplace and in our homes, in our communities, and in our neighborhoods. But that last sentence, I think Carson hits this reality of vocation that we're all accountable for the quality of our work to God first and foremost. And so Paul sees himself as a farmhand, a construction worker, a steward on behalf of God to encourage this church in the right direction. Paul sends this letter. He has to deal with believers suing one another. There's immorality in the church, and um, that's not it. There's there's more. He, he has to encourage them to love one another. He admonishes them to persevere in the faith. He tells them to keep going and to not give up. He tells them that they ought not to distort their God-given gender because their male and female gender are gifts given to them from God. It's a stewardship that they ought to steward for his glory. He tells them not to abuse the Lord's Supper and he admonishes them toward orderly practice with their spiritual gifts so that their spiritual giftings would build up the church. And he encourages them in regard to the resurrection. We know that old saying, right? Christ came, he lived, he taught, he died, he uh, was resurrected. He encourages them in the resurrection. He says it is of first importance. Man, this ministry stuff sounds like hard work. Sounds a little bit, all these encouragement sounds a little bit of the work that I do in Norfolk. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 3. His posture, his demeanor, with the help of the Spirit. He says he came to them with much fear and trembling because he knew his responsibility, his stewardship, his ministry was weighty. And as I see this introduction, as we dive into these three verses, I think he wants them to work out their vocational call to Christ together. I I think he wants them to persevere through hardship and conflict and differences to be his church. Maybe we could say it this way. In the introduction, we hear Paul's heart of his desire for them to be church together. And I think he does this in three ways. He, he points them back to their vocational calling to be church together. Their calling is to be church together in at least three specific ways that I see in the introduction. First and foremost, they were called to Christ. Secondly, they're called to a particular people, the people of Corinth. And then lastly, they're called to a particular place. The people in Corinth, those believing, those who are part of the church, but they're also called to those who are unbelieving or those who have not believed yet. But we'll also see that they're called to others in the region, those in close proximity to them, and they're even called to the world. They're called to the nations. So that's my outline without delay Uh, I I want us to dive right in. Verse 1, it says this. It says, Paul, that's who's writing, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. What does this mean? This means that Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, not in his own strength or wisdom. Paul is guided by the Holy Spirit to write the very words of God. It's not dictation where Paul is out of his mind and he doesn't know what he is writing. No, Paul and the totality of his personhood, his experience, his call to Christ, his conversion to Jesus on the Damascus Road, his endowment with the Spirit of God to, uh, to minister, to be a messenger of Christ Jesus and to be a benefit and a blessing to the church, he writes. Now, this reminds us that our calling, first and foremost, is to know Christ. Paul knows that his calling, first and foremost, was to to not just have knowledge about him, intellectual knowledge about him, but to know him intimately, to know him in the nitty-gritty of life, to know him in the nitty-gritty of ministry, even when things get difficult. He was called by the will of God. Paul was in a an apostle in that he was called by Christ and he saw the resurrected Jesus with his very physical, literal eyes. When we think of apostles in the New Testament, these are early leaders who were entrusted with the promises of old, the the promises that the prophets made that a savior would come. We first heard about this promise in the garden after the fall when sin entered into God's good creation and God promised that he would fix the mess of the garden. And we know that God keeps his promises. God, the eternal son of God, puts on human flesh. We spent all of last month remembering his first advent, his upbringing, his life, his ministry, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. And after his resurrection, he spends 40 days on the earth teaching his disciples that all of the Hebrew writings, all of the scriptures were pointing to his coming, his life, his death, and his resurrection. He says, I'm leaving, but I will not leave you lonely. He departs. That's the ascension. And then the spirit comes to establish the church. Quiz in the middle of the sermon. If the spirit of God established the first church, who established this church? If the spirit of God, based upon the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, who established the church in Norfolk? Oh, friends, it was not Charles, but the same spirit that established on the day of Pentecost, the church, capital C Church, and this church established the church in Norfolk. We all have a claim to the grace of the Spirit of God creating the communities which we are a part of. Paul says, one author said this, that Paul does not write to Corinth merely to offer personal opinions or on his own initiative. He writes as God's spokesman, commissioned to undertake a task given to him by God rather than sought out on his own. Paul did not choose this life, it chose him. But isn't that your testimony? You were wandering and straying. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were going to church with your mama and your daddy. You knew Bible verses, but you didn't know Jesus. And then the goodness and loving kindness of God entered into your story, and your life has not been the same since. Friends, that's Paul's testimony. He received mercy. He was the chief of sinners. He was a master chief sinner, but he received mercy. Mercy. I love the church. It's a a collective of people who have experienced mercy and grace and peace, which comes from God. And now they know him together. It's not a solo project. They know him and they love him and they cherish him together because they're called to be church together. So what do y'all look for when you're looking for a church? Do you look for lights and smoke and mirror? In, In Corinth, they were looking for charismatic leaders or are you looking for a people who will come alongside you that you can come alongside in order that you might know him, that you might love him, and that you might cherish him together? What do you look for in a church? Do you, do you look for some folks who are going to help you grow in your messengership? I like that word. I'm making up words. Paul had a messengership. Oh, and friends, we have been entrusted with this messengership as well. Are you looking for people who are going to help you to live your faith in relationships that impacts the community but actually impacts those who aren't a part of the community yet in very meaningful ways? You know, Paul, he depicts the church as a family. You know, he does this in, in, in two places in these, these first three verses. I want you to look with me. He, he says something profound in verse 3. He says, grace to you and peace from God who is Father, God our Father. But in verse 1, he describes Sosthenes as our brother. He uses familial language to describe the church. I've got our brother with us, Sosthenes. God is our Father. By the way, if there's someone here who's pregnant, and if it's a little boy, I'm making the appeal that you should name that little boy Sosthenes. I'm going to come back in eight, nine, or ten months, and I want you to come up to me and say, at least let it be his middle name. I like that name. This is little baby Sosthenes. This is from the Lord, I promise you. This is not Charles. I promise you. We're family, familial language. So who is Paul writing this letter to with all of this apostolic authority under the God of the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 2. He's writing to the church of God. I love that of because it represents belonging. That means the church belongs to God. Pop quiz in the middle of the sermon. Who does this church belong to? Oh, this church belongs to God. He writes to a church in a particular place. They're not a context-less people. He writes to the church of God that is in Corinth. Friends, what I'm trying to say is that our calling first and foremost to God. Who is God? He is Father. He is Son. He is Holy Spirit. There is one God. We worship Him. But our calling is also to be church together or extended family together. There are some of you here, you were not born in this country. There are some of you here, you were not born in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Yet we remain family through the bloodshed of Jesus. And the confirmation of this familiar reality is the resurrection and the impartation of the Spirit of God who brought us together to be church together. That is, the church is not like a family, it is a family. Paul writes to the church of God that is in Corinth. And, and then he says this, I, I like this, 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 this section, this latter part of verse 2. He says, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You see, I think this means that there to be a particular people who are distinct, right? They are to be holy because God is holy. They have been sanctified. That is, they have been made holy. Holy by God. Maybe I could say it this way. The moment that you were filled with the Holy Spirit, the moment you placed your confidence in Jesus Christ he made you holy. Your position before God, because of God, is holy and blameless. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're you're saying, Charles, I I, I know that that's objective truth. My standing before God is holy. But Charles, over the last few months, uh, since the beginning of this year, if you were to look at last week, I, I don't think I feel holy and my practice is not as holy as I want it to be. And I would reply to you, I feel you. I feel you. Me too. (laughs) My position and my practice, there's this gap and I'm asking the Lord to close the gap. That's the process of sanctification. Having been made holy, yet having remaining sin and wanting to eradicate that which is not like God, eradicate the darkness and to press more into the light. That's the Christian life. So if that's your struggle, your struggle, your wrestle to embody your position more in your practice then the Spirit of God is at work in you to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You know, someone once said that sanctification is the Christian's joint venture with God. So it's not that we just go lay on the couch and say, all right, God, make me holy. I want to be more like you. Do it, Lord. If you don't do it, it won't happen. But, but it's not that we work right? As if we can gain holiness by our works, but but it's it's the Christian holding hands with God in the journey of life, desiring to become more like him by beholding his face, by communing with him, by embracing the spiritual disciplines that make us more like him. See the life of Jesus. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth that belongs to God, to those who are, have been made holy with reference to Christ Jesus, who are called to be saints. Now, this called to be holy ones, again, that's the practice that flows from communion with the Holy One, identification with the Holy One, right? We're born of the Spirit, and then we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We go down in the water, but we don't stay down. Why? Because they call the police on us. Partially. The second half of that is because we identify with Jesus' death. But the first part is important too. We identify with Jesus' death because Jesus died, but he did not stay dead. He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we identify with his death and his glorious resurrection. We come up out of the water, having been washed and cleansed and redeemed and made new. And now, with the help of the Spirit... We fulfill our calling to be holy ones or to be saints. We're set apart together to be his people. Now, some of you are like, Charles, I could live holy, but Christians get on my nerves and they contribute to me not living as holy as I want to. Maybe a solution is you go live in central Virginia in the mountains. Some of you grew up in the mountains, right? Glorious scenery, right? You could do that. Maybe you'd eventually sin against yourself, right? remaining sin shows up in in some of the most interesting ways. But I don't think that you could fulfill this. I don't think if you go live in the mountains in central Virginia, you go live in the desert. I love the desert monks and the mountain monks, and they have a spirituality that we can glean a thing or two from. But you couldn't fulfill this vision that God has for the church in Corinth to be church together. That is a part of you growing in Christ likeness is learning the relational skills of learning the skills of persevering with other folks who have remaining sin that you might be more like him. That's how God designed it. And I think Paul is calling this church to to be set apart, to be the holy ones together. You could not live out this calling to follow Christ with others in a particular place with the aim of embodying God's glory and inviting others to be a part of this God-glorifying community. The church at Corinth, they are to live distinctively among the people. Now, what that doesn't mean is we run into a Christian bubble, right? No, we're a worshiping community. We gather with the saints. We gather with the holy ones. We do that. And I love all of the the gathering, different pockets happening in this building from the kiddos, learning about Jesus in a way that they can understand it to the beauty and the glory of American sign language going on happening right now, to to those listening over here on the lower level, to those. Man, it is a beautiful picture of God's redeeming grace and bringing a people together to be His church. The church, it belongs to God. They're to live out their faith in a localized way that would impact the region and even the world. I hope you catch that in our relationship. Your existence as God's church here in Northern Virginia, it impacts Mission Church in Southeast Virginia. Because you're called to be Christ and you're called to be his people, it's not just staying here, it's impacting D.C. It's impacting, the Lord is bringing the nations to Norfolk through Old Dominion University. Various different international students who are there for a year, two or three. I looked at our gathering a couple weeks ago. We had a couple from Ethiopia, a couple from Nigeria. Our pastor from Community Life is from Nigeria. I said, let me introduce you to my friend. And uh, he's there for a postdoctoral fellowship for one year. Uh, We have a, a brother who's studying at ODU from Uganda. And so the Lord is bringing the nations to Virginia. And so we show hospitality and love here, but also we're ready and willing to go to other places that we might bring this good news and this togetherness, this community, which is being God's people together to other places where it doesn't exist. You know, I tell our uh, Navy folks who were stationed there for 24 to 36 months, that's what brought us there. My wife was in the Navy for 10 years, and we thought we'd be in Norfolk for three years, and then we'd move on. And then God called us to raise a family and to see a church family come into existence. They have us for three or four years. We have them for three or four years. Let's make an impact in each other's lives. It isn't us giving, making all of the impact in their lives. We actually want some benefit from them in the Lord. We want them to make an impact in our lives as well. Students and uh, military folks, you know, in Norfolk before a short period of time, and we want to be a benefit and blessing to them in the Lord. We want to be church together with them. Upwardly mobile urban professionals who, you know, take high paying jobs in other cities with us for a year two or three, and then they move on. We don't see this as a loss. We see it as an opportunity to gospelize and to share community with folks for a season and then to send them to other places that they might cultivate gospel community and mission, but we're still connected as God's church together. And so all of these realities remind us that our vocation is not just our nine to five. No, in all of our difference, and all of our distinction, and all of the diversity that's even present in this congregation, we have a shared vocation. We have a shared commitment to Christ. We have a shared commitment to being his people, and we have this, this shared commitment. Well, I'll let the rest of the passage highlight the third one. This is why I think Paul says this. They're called to be church together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. That is, they are to have a unique concern for Corinth but an awareness of those who call on the Lord in other places. And and I can't express how grateful I am for you. You're concerned with this region, but you're also concerned with the labor of love, which is Mission Church in Norfolk. Thank you for embodying this passage. But you know, we never went to Norfolk just to see a singular church come into existence. Uh, a few months ago, I presented a vision to our church called Establish the Mission. Mission Church has been planted, and now it's time to establish the Mission Church. And what, what are we establishing? Gospel, deeper gospel roots, greater community over a long period of time, mission, maturation, and discipleship, right? But also, we want to multiply gospel community and mission to other places, right? This multi-ethnic, multigenerational multi-generational congregation in Norfolk, we would do well to plant another missional church in south norfolk in the neighboring cities of virginia beach and chesapeake through a tunnel in portsmouth across the bridge in hampton and peninsula and so i'm asking the church let's rally together not just to be church in Norfolk, but to see gospel community and mission spread to neighboring cities. Y'all join with us in praying that the Lord will raise up leaders who will go to other places in Hampton Roads in the 757, because we don't want to just be concerned with our respective city. We want to be a blessing to our region for God's glory and to fulfill this call. We feel this call as Mission Church to, in the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be ministers of reconciliation. First and foremost, we want to to see people reconciled to God, and having been reconciled to God, we want to see people reconciled to one another, and we believe the local church is the best place for this to take root. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 9, he highlights all of his fellow workers which lets us know that Paul sees ministry as a labor of love. He sees it as noble and honorable work. And friends, you're doing the work here. You're equipping one another. You're training leaders. You're training covenant members. You're discipling men and women in different spaces. You, you want the people of this place in, in, in the community, in the local church, to grow and flourish in Jesus, and you want those who haven't believed on Jesus yet to benefit as well. One commentator said this, Paul rejects all claims by the Corinthian church to be autonomous. I don't want to mess with the, uh, auto- the baptistic principle of the autonomy of the local church, but I'll read this quote anyway. <laughs> Paul rejects all claims by the Corinthian church to be autonomous. Too often, the Corinthians seem to imagine that they are the only pebble on the beach, that they can think and live or sink or swim without regard to the traditions and practices of other Christians in other places. Friends, that's not true of you because you have a oneness and a unity and a harmony with church planters and church plants. And specifically, I am an example of your commitment to oneness and unity here in the Commonwealth of Virginia as we partner together to see gospel community and mission multiply in and around Norfolk. I'll conclude in this way. I'll conclude with verse three. That's a good, grace and peace. That's a good way to conclude. Y'all with me? Let's conclude with some grace and some peace. Grace to you and peace. Where does grace and peace come from? Oh, it comes from God. Who is God? He is our father and he's a good father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is the free gift of unmerited favor that we cannot work for. We can only receive it. And maybe there's someone here this morning You've heard about Jesus before, but but you haven't experienced him as kind and merciful and gracious. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to open your hands in a spirit of receptivity, to open your heart and to receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was one morning. I had been living recklessly and foolishly. I was uh, the neighborhood pharmaceutical entrepreneur. (laughs) Living This is my testimony, right? No, I'm folks like, Charles, you grew up as a PK. There's nothing wrong with being a PK. I didn't grow up as a PK, right? I ran the streets. I lived foolishly. I made fast cash that led to death. And then the goodness and loving kindness of God entered, kicked the door into my heart through the witness of a friend who graciously told me about Jesus. We're not proponents of missionary dating, but my wife is the one who led me to Christ when I was living foolishly and recklessly. My wife was the one who got stationed in Norfolk, Virginia. God was providentially working in it all in order for us to be home, which is Norfolk for us, in order for me to stand before you today and to tell someone here who has not believed yet that you ought to receive this free gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it because of everything that Jesus has done, it is available to you. Receive it by faith and peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict, but peace, this idea of shalom, it speaks of flourishing and well-being. And I'm so thankful that God has worked into your heart, that, that you're concerned with flourishing here in the life of redeeming grace, but you're also concerned with the church in Norfolk flourishing. Two thoughts. We will fail at being church together. If you've been a part of any church for any amount of time, offense happens, shortcomings, failures, blunders. I'm not talking about perpetual unrepentant sin. I just mean the realities of being church together where there's people who are saved by the grace of God but have remaining sin. There's always going to be reasons to opt out of being church together. Nobody understands my singleness. There's too many young couples, there's not enough young couples. Uh, couples out of place with, uh, feeling out of place with no children, or couples who have several children feeling out of place. Cultural difference, opinions, politics, preferences, preferences. But, but in this reality of all of our different distinction and diversity, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope. And I think what Paul is doing with the church of Corinth is he's calling them to this unity, not uniformity, but unity in diversity. it's going to take character. It's going to take help from the Holy Spirit, the one who has declared us to be holy. And then we got to practice that holiness and how we relate to one another. That's a part of being church together. Friends, holiness is not niceness. It's not moralism, but it's a holiness that is found in God and worked out in a people patiently over time. And so when the saints get on your nerves, love them patiently over time. This is an invitation from God. Maybe you're here visiting for the first or the second time. This is a warm community, and I'm convinced that that these people, this church would be willing to love you over time, and you should consider what it might look like to patiently love them over time. Uh, Number two, I I think this invites us into a theology of place and belonging, right? Uh, In my city, people are perpetually moving, and you heard me Um, you know, uh, say that we we joyfully send people, but we realizing, (laughs) you know, a church with 67 covenant members, we probably had double that over the last five years. We need a theology that talks to people about staying. All right. (laughs) So so we can do both. We can joyfully send people. Actually, if you want to move to Norfolk, I'll be in there. Our calling is not our job. Our shared calling is that we are fellow workers in the gospel. We are co-laborers with a shared message from and to all people. That cultivates the diverse fellowship. We have one calling, different jobs, diverse incomes. And so what that means in a multi socioeconomic economic church is that we need each other. Those who are materially well-to-do, those who have resources, those who have time, those who have an open table, those who have money must be in close proximity relationship and fellowship with those who do not, but have other grace gifts to offer. And then lastly, I know some of you may be looking for work as I talk about jobs. I pray that or or you just had an interview or you're submitting applications. I pray the Lord would meet your needs. And you get the job that the Lord has for you. And you would see it as a gift and a calling from God. Work is not a result. Is a you know, work is not a result of the fall because Adam had stewardship, trust, and responsibility but before the fall. But I do believe it's being redeemed in Jesus for God's purposes in the world with reference to the gospel. And so we work together toward flourishing. We co-labor together in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit. Let's pray toward that end. Lord Jesus, I do again want to pray for those who are unemployed, those who don't have work. Lord, meet needs. Use your people. If there's a lead or a job, if there's vocational opportunity, I'm sure there's some business owners or some managers here who have a couple positions that, Lord, I just pray you'd make supernatural uh, commitments and um, connections. And Lord, I do pray that we would honor you in the workplace, Monday through Friday. I do pray that folks would um, see us as people who take our work seriously. Um, I pray that we would do honorable work and noble work, not as man pleasers, right, Uh, but in the sight of God, that we would seek to honor you in our work, be it vocational ministry or in all the various different spheres that we work. And I do pray that you would be glorified and honored. And I do pray that you would even use the resources from our labor to advance this good news about Jesus. And I pray that this church would be a powerful impact in this region, in this area even to D.C. and Southeast Virginia, throughout North America, but even to the ends of the earth. And so bless them and keep them and strengthen them and give them much peace from you, I pray. In God's name, who is Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother.